God bless the proclamation of your word today. May you be glorified. May your people be richly blessed in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I invite you to turn with me once again to 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to continue our theme, our series of sermons uh, entitled David Shepherd Bo- from Shepherd Boy to Mighty King. And I want to preach um, this sermon entitled uh, today, Lessons in Route to Your Blessings. Lessons in Route to Your Blessings. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to tend his need. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went his own way. Lessons in route, in route to your blessings. Now, at this point in his life, King Saul's all-consuming passion is to kill David. It's as though he is living to kill David. Every breath he takes, every step he makes, is about killing David. And ridding himself of the threat that David will become the next king of Israel. Now, David is a man after God's own heart and had been selected and anointed by God to replace Saul as king. And you remember the reasons why Saul lost his position. Now, Saul was resentful of David because of David's success in battle against the Philistines. So much so that the women sang this song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So imagine that. That's just fueling Saul's fury. That now the women of the kingdom who were once giving Saul all of this attention are now shifting that attention on to young David. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So says Samuel, 1 Samuel 18 and 12. Now, not only that, but add an insult to injury, Saul's son Jonathan and David develops this spiritual bond. I mean, they are close. They are even cl- more cl- they're closer than brothers. And, and out of this bond, Dave, uh, Jonathan has decided to protect David with his own life. In other words, Jonathan's position is, David, I am willing to die for you and to protect you. You will be the next anointed king of Israel. 
Now, in desperation, Saul attempts numerous, uh, uh, numerous maneuvers designed to derail de David's destiny on, on, on the way to becoming king. His motives for such action are clearly revealed in verse 21. Um, he, he gives David, one of his maneuvers, rather, is to give David his daughter, Michael, in marriage. He, he has a number of schemes to kill David, but one of them is to give David his daughter, Michael. He says, I want you to marry my daughter. Now, his motives for such action are clearly revealed in verse 21. Notice in the text, Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. Did you get that? Not that she might be a blessing to him. Not that she might be an encouragement to him. Not that she would be a suitable helpmate for him, but that she would be a snare to him. In other words, Saul arranged his marriage so that, so that Michael would be instrumental in Saul, in a David's downfall. Saul continues, and, 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 and he says that the hands of the Philistines might be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. Now, David's relationship with Saul deteriorated to the point where David was forced to run for his life. He runs to Gath, which, interestingly enough, is the hometown of Goliath, the nine-foot giant that he killed back in chapter 17. Now, the idea among some scholars and biblical students is that David ran to Gath because he's thinking, if I go to Gulf, that would be the last place Saul would look for me. That he would not, he would not ever dream that I would go to the hometown of Goliath. So he goes to he goes to Gulf, and 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 when he gets there, the king's servant, King Achish's servants, recognize him, and they say, "Is this not David, the king of the land? Did not they sing?" Uh, the women sang of him and, 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 and saying that Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And realizing his identity had been compromised, then David uh, pretended to be insane. He was like, the only way out of this now is to pretend to have completely lost his mind. And so that's what he does. He began scratching on the door of the gate. And the Bible says he's letting saliva run down his beard. That, that's, a, that's a pretty gross sight. But at the same time, he is convincing enough that Achish lets him go. And chapter 22 begins with David departing from God and escaping to the cave of Adullam. At this point, David's brothers and his father's household heard what David was going through, and so like good families, they go to be with David to, to give him spiritual support and to give him moral support. He can't go home, so his family goes to him. But not only did David's family members go to him, but about 400 men joined him, and he became their captain. Now, there's something interesting about these 400 men I want to tell you about. These 400 men are, 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 are people who are in, are in distress. 
everyone, the Bible says, chapter 22, verse 2, everyone who is in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontent, those were the guys that cooked up with David. And so he, he has a pretty, pretty fraggled army there. They connect with him. Now, still running for his life and, and living like a fugitive, David goes to Nob, and Saul is told, by, told that Ahimelech, the priest there in Nob, and all the priests gave David provisions and inquired of the Lord on his behalf. In other words, they fed David, they fed his men, they fed his family, and then they prayed and asked God about David, probably asking God to protect David and asking God what should David do. Saul hears about this, and with this information, Saul, in his madness, orders Ahimelech and all the priests of Nob to be murdered. So what he does is, not only is he trying to kill David, in an attempt to kill David, he goes and he kills all of the preachers, except for one, except for one. And this priest uh, escaped, and David said to him in verse 23, stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks yours, but with me, David said, you will be saved. Now in chapter 23, David and his men were hiding out in the wilderness of Mayon. Saul and his army heard of David's hiding place and were encircling them to take them captive. But in 27, verse 27, a messenger came to Saul and he said to Saul, hurry up and come. The Philistines have invaded the land. Saul abandoned his pursuit of David and went back to fight the Philistines. And verse 28 says, so they call this place the Rock of Escape. Footnote, no matter how bad things look, no matter how dire the straits, no matter how difficult the situation, no matter how close your back is up, pinned up against the wall, God will always make a way out for those who trust in him. Here's David. His back is up against the wall. Saul and his men are circling around him. There's no place for David and his army to go. Absolutely no human escape. And now all of a sudden they get this message that the Philistines are attacking. And Saul has to abandon his pursuit of David, turn, and go fight the Philistines. We used to sing a song, or the choir sings a song, rather, he had good hope. Every time I turn around, Amen. he, meaning God, is making a way. Amen. And then they sang not just one time, not just two times, but every time I turn around, God is making a way. We used to sing a song back at Jehovah Missionary Baptist Church that Jesus is a way maker. Amen. One day, he made a way for me. Now, the Lord is a way maker. And this text shows us that he is, but 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 a practical application, Jesus constantly makes a way for us. He makes a way when family dilemmas are disturbing. He'll make a way. He he makes a way by by when 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 dreams are devastated when our lives are devastated dreams are broken and relationship concerns he makes a way Amen. when when we are facing the most dire uh, uh circumstances in our lives could be career or health 
God always makes a way. In reference to the way-making nature of God, the psalmist vehemently declares in Psalm 125, verses 1 and 2, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever as the mountains are around Jerusalem, the psalmist says. So the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forevermore. In other words, God surrounds us and God makes a way for us. My grandmama used to say, God will make a way out of no way. In other words, the psalmist said, in other words, David's life revealed. In other words, in, in other words, Grandmama Pickett's theology has to do with this. God's got you coming and going. He's got your front. He's got your back. He's got your sideways. God got your you right side up, upside down, and all around. God got you every which way. God's got you because he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at the same time. God's got you no matter what you, where you go, where you are, what you face, God's got it. Nobody but God could have stirred up the Philistines and used them to distract Saul and his men long enough and just in the nick of time so that David and his men could get away. Have you ever been there? Have you been back up against the wall? You didn't know where you were going to go and what you were going to do and how you were going to make it. And, and you cried out to God and out of no way, God made a way. It was an impossible way, but that's all right because nothing is impossible with God. In other words, the Bible says with God, all things are possible. So when you can't see your way, just turn to the way maker. God will. God will make a way. Now in chapter 24, David and about 400 men are hiding in the wilderness of En Gedi. And Saul has come back from his campaign against the Philistines. And he's on the hunt for David again. Mm -hmm. And he hears that David and his men are hiding in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so the Bible says he takes 3,000 chosen men from Israel. Now these men, Pastor Stevens and Pastor Joe and others of you who have been in in the military, Sister Argo and others of you know, these men were the special forces. These men would have been back in the day, Deacon Bell called the Green Berets. These men were highly sophisticated and highly trained soldiers. And Saul got them together and he pursued David up into the mountainous region when he comes to a cave. And according to the New King James Version translation of verse 3, Saul went in to attend his needs. Now, now, you know, I want to deal with this with pulpit etiquette. <laughs> and as much, in, uh, uh, as much um, integrity as I can. But, but he went into Tennessee. The King James Version states, Saul went in to cover his feet. Now, both translations of verse 3 uses what's known as euphemism. A euphemism is a mild or direct word or expression substituted for one considered to be too harsh or blunt when referring to something unpleasant or embarrassing. 
So the Bible is using a euphemism here when it says he went in to cover his, his feet. Amen. Are you with me? So one school of thought here is that Saul went in, into the cave to relieve himself in a matter in, it was going to take him a little while. Amen. Uh -huh. Another uh, school of thought based upon uh, fact that, that in biblical theology the term for covering uh, his feet meant to take a nap. Some believe Saul would have been exhausted from his recent battle with the Philistines and relentless pursuit of David until he chose this cave to go in and take a, a nap, get a brief respite from his battle. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, he walks into this massive cave under the watchful eye of David and his men who were hiding in the recesses of the cave. Now he walks into this cave. He has no idea that David and all of his men were in this cave. These caves were a huge cave. Amen. Now, I want to paint a brief picture of the of the of the condition of the cave according to the pulpit commentary. These caverns are as dark as midnight, and the keenest eye cannot see five paces inwards. So, so the commentator is telling us that when Saul walked in, it was so dark, he couldn't see Amen. five steps in front of him. But one who had been long within and is looking outward towards the entrance can observe with perfect distinctness all that takes place in that direction. In other words, those who are in the cave, their eyes have adjusted to the darkness. You know how it is when you're in a dark room, your eyes adjust, but now looking outward, they can see clearly because they are looking out into the light of the cave. Saul can see nothing because he's looking into the cave. It's pitch dark, but David, help me somebody. David and his men are looking outward. They can see everything. That's the difference between having spiritual eyesight and being spiritually blind. When your spiritual eyes are open, you can look out and you see stuff that people who are spiritually blind cannot see. Therefore, David therefore could Watch Saul as he came in, and he noticed the exact place where he covered his feet. And while Saul could see nothing but impenetrable darkness, David and his men could see everything. Now, David's men are watching Saul's every move. And they said to David in verse 4, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seemed good to you. Imagine, 400 sets of eager eyes are all focused on David as he gets up and moves under the cover of darkness and, 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 and unnoticed by, by Saul, David is moving in his direction. And I can imagine the mint goose pimple. I mean, these guys are on the edge of their seat this is it. This is the day. Our troubles will be over. No more running. We're going to gain positions. We're going to gain power. We can go back to our girlfriends, our wives, and our children, and we'll get all the money that Saul has taken from us, and we will be good citizens. This is it. But instead of killing Saul, David cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. 
And immediately David came under conviction and said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Verse 7, so David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went his way. Now, in the next remaining minutes I have, I want to just give you three lessons. Lesson one, while en route to your blessing, some relationships will deteriorate, but you got to keep moving. Are you with me? While you while while in while in route to the blessings that God has in store for you, some relationships will deteriorate along the way, but you must, like David, keep moving. Now the phenomenal thing about this is that is that is that David had done nothing but good to Saul. I mean, that's the ironic thing about it. I mean, David had done nothing. He had been good to Saul in every conceivable way. He had blessed him and not cursed him. He had fought on his behalf and he had protected him as best he could. He endured Saul's insults and hostilities towards him. Saul, Saul started off as though he loved David and wanted him around, but then it, it deteriorated to the point where all Saul had for David was hatred. He had maneuvered around Saul's wicked schemes and plans to bring him down. David gave his best to the relationship with Saul, but because of Saul's hidden agenda, his secret sins, his wicked motives, his selfish ambitions, and his outright rebellion against God, his life was a chaotic mess for which he blamed David. It's a sad reality that as God moves you onward and upward, as God does things in your life, as God opens doors for you, as God blesses you, as God, as, as God prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy, it's a sad reality, but everybody that starts out with you won't stay with you. No matter how hard you try to keep some relationships intact, they will unravel and there will be nothing, absolutely nothing you can do about it. Some relationships won't last. Though you hoped they would, though you desired they would, though you did everything that you could to make them last, they won't last. So be prepared. And don't be caught off guard. But be encouraged. Stay, stay the course. Stay in route. Keep the faith. Keep your hand in God's unchanging hand. And God will provide all that you need at the time that you need it. Remember, even Jesus had to deal with relationships going south. He fed folk, but when the fish and bread were gone, so were they. He healed ten lepers, but only one returned to say, Lord, I thank you 
for healing my body. He washed his disciples' feet, yet Peter denied him. James and John were more concerned about their position. Thomas doubted him, and on the very night he took bread and said, this is my body given for you. And he took the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you. On that very night, Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord had done everything that he could possibly do to keep the relationship intact. Very ones he came to save, hung him high, stretched him wide, killing him on the cross for your sins and mine. But Jesus kept right on moving. He moved to Calvary. He moved to the borrowed tomb. But early on Sunday morning, he moved from the grave to glory with all power in his hands. You got to keep moving. Even though relationships will deteriorate and die, you got to keep moving. Lesson two. While en route to your blessings, be aware of religious manipulators. Notice verse 4 of the text. Then the men of, of David said to him, this is the day which the Lord said to you. Notice what they said. Now, this is the day, this is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will deliver your enemy to your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. David's men sought to use the name of the Lord in order to convince David to carry out their own selfish personal agenda. Do you see that in the text? The Lord said no such thing. They just used the name of the Lord to push their own selfish agenda. They wanted position. They wanted power. They wanted a life of of elegance and ease. So they used the name of the Lord to get it. We're living in a time where people don't mind lying on God in order to push their own selfish agendas. Like, like the so-called young preacher uh, heard a story about who was going around the different churches in town and telling pastors that the Lord told him that he was supposed to preach there that Sunday. So he went to one church and he said, the Lord told me I'm supposed to preach it today. So the pastor said, okay, if the Lord told you that, you can preach. And he preached. They gave him a nice honorarium. And he went on his, about his business. The next Sunday, he went to another church and said to the pastor, the Lord told me I was supposed to preach it today. And the pastor obliged him. He preached. They gave him a nice honorarium. And he went on his way. Next Sunday, he went back to an older pastor, a more seasoned pastor, a pastor with wisdom and not a pastor who prayed and spent time with God. And he said to him, the Lord told me that I was supposed to preach here today. And the old wise pastor looked at him and said, the Lord didn't tell me that. And you ain't preaching. Are you listening to me? That sometimes you just got to tell folk what you say the Lord told you. The Lord didn't tell me. And so I'm not going to change what God is telling me to do to suit what you want me to do. Can I get a witness here? We're living in a time where people don't mind lying on God and using the name of God just to get you to do whatever it is they want you to do. And even if we in the church have done everything that people walk in the church and claim that the Lord laid on their hearts to do, we would have a zoo for worship service. 
kent to the kent to the wise. Kent to the wise. Be careful about following everybody who says to me, the Lord told me. And the Lord led me. The Lord put this on my heart. Because often folk will use God's name in order to manipulate you, to use you, abuse you, and push their own self-centered, egotistical agendas. The truth be told, here's the truth. Here's the truth. The truth be told, it's not always the Lord talking to folks. Sometimes the truth be told, envy told them. Jealousy told them. Lust told them. Greed told them. Self-ambition told them. The need for the spotlight, attention, the limelight to be recognized told them. Hold everything anybody tells you, even me. Do you know what Paul said, the Bereans? He said, they followed in their Bible. When Paul preached, they checked it out. Not that they didn't trust Paul, but but they wanted to see it for themselves. Hold everything to the intense scrutiny of God's word, not because somebody said the Lord laid this on my heart. Like the lady who told my wife and I some years ago that she met and married her husband. He wasn't saved, but the Lord told her to marry him. Well, I knew right away she was lying. (laughs) Because the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so the Lord won't say one thing in one passage and then turn around and and, and say something else in another passage. But you know what it was that told her? Lust told her. She wanted this man. She liked how he looked, perhaps. Maybe she liked how he was built. Maybe she liked his job, his income. Maybe she couldn't think of living without him, but it was not the Lord. God will not condone in one chapter, what he condemns in another. Lesson three and lastly today, en route to your blessings, leave your enemies in God's hands. Verse six, and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I do this thing to my master. David says, I'm leaving it in God's hands. He says, to my master, the Lord's anointed, anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. But not only did David restrain himself from harming Saul, he says, I'm not going to do it. He also restrained his men. That says if you got a posse, sometimes you got to restrain them. If you got family members who get all up in arms, you got to restrain them if you are really following God's prescribed plan. You see, David was moving forward towards the blessings God had planned for him. He was going to be blessed to be king. He had taken, had he taken the wrong counsel, followed the wrong advice, listened to the wrong voices, and killed Saul, he would have violated the will of God and canceled the blessings God had planned for his life. 
But as you move onward and upwards, as you move towards the blessings that God has in store for you, God has great things in store for you. For I know the plans I have you to class the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So says Jeremiah 29 and 11, God has some good things in store for you. God has some blessings for you that you don't even know about. God is getting ready to open up some windows of heaven for you, some doors for you. Don't mess it up by trying to take revenge. 